why would anyone want to be a priest today? We're going to talk about that with Father Sean Magaldi, the Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Rockville Center. Please stay with us. Welcome to Personally Speaking. I'm your host, Monsignor Jim Losanti, and Father Sean Magaldi joins me now. Father Sean is the Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Rockwell Center on Long Island in New York. He's a graduate of Chaminade High School, again on Long Island, New York, and has studied film and video production at Adelphi University. While at Adelphi University, Father Sean Magaldi was one of the founders of the Newman Club and was active in Catholic campus ministry. After graduating from Adelphi in 2009, Father Sean became a Catholic campus minister at Hofstra University. It was while at Hofstra University that he realized his love for priestly ministry, and he entered the seminary after a year. In 2005, Father Sean Magali was ordained a priest for the Diocese of Rockwell Center in New York. Father Sean is here with us today to talk about his discernment and how best to help increase vocations. Joining me now, I'm so pleased to welcome to Personally Speaking, Father Sean Magaldi. We're here with Sean Magaldi, who is the Director of Vocations for the Diocese of Rockwell Center. Sean, I'm always intrigued when uh, someone takes on that job, or any, uh, any young priest coming to the priesthood, on the faith background. In your family, uh, was it an intensive religious family? Was it a, a moderately intensive family? Was it a family with very few people believing? What's the, the home uh, that formed and shaped you like? So for me, I would say we were an average family, uh, average Catholic family uh, growing up in the sense that mass every Sunday was something that was very important. Um, and um, I got, maybe not average, but moderate, that religion wasn't anything that was extreme. It was something that was at the center. It was something that was important, right? We, we prayed every night before dinner. We prayed every night before we went to sleep. We went to mass every Sunday. That was something that was non-negotiable. And I always joke around and say, whenever we would go on vacation, the first thing my dad would do when he got to the hotel was, where's the nearest Catholic church and where's the nearest <laughs> Italian restaurant? And those two things, once those were settled, we were good. My, my dad goes to mass every day wow. um, and he, he has my whole life. So he would get up early in the morning when we were away and, and, and go to daily mass. And when we would go, on, on Sunday. So growing up at home, everyone was a believer. Everyone, I mean, it was, it's myself, my mom, my dad, and my brother growing up, all okay. faithful Catholics. Now, so you know it wasn't intense, but it wasn't, um, it was at the center. Pretty faithful, pretty faithful. Yeah. That's true. My uh, 100 year old mother, when I asked her recently about her own upbringing, mentioned that her father went to mass every day of his life. And she said, you know, because he did that, he was a saint. So tell your father, by my mother's standard, your father's a saint. You know, <laughs> I'll go to his head. I can't say that. <laughs> Let me ask you, but everybody, not everybody, but many people who especially come on a show like this will say, well, you know, like many uh, young people in high school or college, I did a little drifting uh, with you or your brother. Was there a drift or was it pretty consistent? I would say, I think for myself and my brother, it was 
for me more than him, it was an intellectual drift okay. where I going to college was the first time that I ever experienced people who didn't believe in God mm-hmm. and that the idea of being Catholic, the idea of being a, a Christian, being faithful and practicing your faith was something that was very much under attack, especially by uh, some of the professors, right? Mm-hmm. From an intellectual perspective, it, you know, believing in God would be like believing in leprechauns and unicorns and right. stuff like that. It's right, a childish right. thing that you, you're supposed to grow out of now. Yeah. And I would argue with the professors and I started to think about, you know, maybe this isn't real. And mm-hmm. from about maybe three months of my first semester, of, of college, it was something that was very much like, okay, this, this might not be real. And what, how am I going to deal with this and handle it? And I, I went, I was involved with the, the Newman club, the Catholic club on, on, on campus, which was just beginning. And it was tough to be with people who were, you know, I was like, what do you do when your professors challenge your faith? They're like, don't say anything. Then you won't get an A. And then I'm a very like all or nothing person. So I'm like, I know people died for Catholicism. So I, I did not get an A. Does it seem like that's, that's a good enough reason? And then I had gone on a service trip to Kentucky um, with campus ministry and being on that trip and just seeing other people, really just a handful of other people. It wasn't a big group who were mm-hmm. trying to live out their faith allowed me to know that I wasn't alone. And then wow. that really, then I started doing the intellectual work to be able to argue with the professors. And to be honest, I, I got A's in all of those classes <laughs> and they appreciated it. Um, and I think my brother, it was, wasn't necessarily that, but it was a moment where faith went from something that you had to do to something that you wanted to do also right. in, in college. We both went to a, to Adelphi and we both had similar experiences with the Newman club and stuff. And he had gone on a mission trip to Ecuador and saw how much the people there were starving for the Eucharist. They didn't get it. They didn't have mass every week because there wasn't priest available. And then that kind of like allowed him to understand the real presence. And then faith took the next step in his life as well. Well, the Sean McGaldi is our guest. Sean, I guess I'm wondering when, because what you just said, I've heard from, so many parents and grandparents about their concern when they send their kids off to college. Did you get any insight? I know this is a hard one to evaluate. Why a professor would feel the need to uh, promote a lack of faith? I think that it, one of the things that we see in our culture today is, um, and in philosophy, um, is that this attachment to the material world. If mm-hmm. I can't test it, if I can't see it, if I can't feel it, then it, it, it's not real. And that in intellectual sometimes will focus only on the material. And then because of that, there's this idea that faith is not reasonable. Faith is not rational. Um, and then, you know, reading a lot of like Christopher Hitchens and, and, and Richard Dawkins and, and these militant atheists who have good arguments against faith. Um, so I, I think that a lot of that has to do with it. Some of it is just, I, I, some of the professors I encountered were Catholic, didn't mm. live in the way that the church taught. And so it was easier to dismiss all of it than it was to look in the mirror and, and challenge oneself. Other people, it's an intellectual thing. They grew up learning. Um, and when they asked questions, they were told, don't question. And then, so they left. 
so it's a, there's a big spectrum, but it was an overemphasis on the material world, which yeah. we see in society. You know, uh, one of our, our guests was an actor who was a, a deep and devoted fan of Christopher Hitchens, and it's why he said he had come to embrace atheism. But I had asked him as a favor, and he did it, to read Peter Hitchens, the uh, brother Christopher, who was an atheist for a while before coming back to Christ, and uh, as is as intellectual as Christopher. And uh, uh, I think people can certainly be won back. But let me ask you, go back to uh, my original question for a second. When you look at the home in which you were raised, uh, can you name for me what your parents did right? Well, they because they made faith a priority, mm -hmm. it became something that I saw how important it was to them. And, and there was a moment where we were away on vacation and um, we were with other people that were Catholic, but not as they didn't practice. Mm -hmm. And um, my, my dad, or I should say, not that they didn't practice, but it, it wasn't to the same degree that, that we did. Yeah. Um, and they didn't come to mass with us on Sunday. And I was very upset that I had to go as a little kid in Disney. <laughs> I think we were in Disney. We might've been somewhere else, but it's like, why did I, why can't I do what they're doing and sleep in or whatever it was. Yeah. And it, there was, he, my dad just looked and said, this is important. And this is what we do. Um, and, and I think that was a major part of it. And then the, the never ending prayers, um, from both of my parents, the ones that I know about and the ones that I, I don't know about. Because uh, I remember talking to my mom when I was struggling with my faith in, in college, talking to my mom recently about, about that and right. how she, she kind of just said that she went to mass one day during the week and, 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 and went to Our Lady, lit a candle and said, okay, he's your son too. I know you'll protect him. Yeah. And like that unwavering faith they had was something that that helped me and it was never something that was like you can't question but at the same time it's like if you're going to question it you got to come with the goods because yeah. they knew enough to to answer the questions or to point me in a direction to somebody who could so it was never like just do this and and, and then their joy of following christ was something mm -hmm. that i think you can see in their lives. And then as I got older and realized that they didn't necessarily have easy, as easy of a life as I did growing up and that they remained faithful through all of that, you see that their faith was tested and they continued to choose God. And so I think those were some of the things that I learned from them. Father Sean Magaldi is our guest. Sean, when we have pre-cana in our parish every, every month, uh, I ask the young people, because most of them are not churchgoers, why? There's a bunch of reasons. Uh, but, but one of the ones that comes up very often is, you know, that they were horrified by the scandals, understandably, as everyone should be. But when you're the vocation director and you're trying to invite people to think about the possibility of a priestly vocation, religious vocation, what do you say to people who have been put off by, and more specifically, personally, you're a guy who's been ordained during that time when the church was battered by the scandals, you know, I'm a relic in that I was ordained in the 80s, so we hadn't faced that yet. But but you chose to become a priest at some of the worst times in our church's history in terms of the church coping with this thing. So how did you deal with it? How did it influence or not influence your decision to embrace priesthood? And what do you say to the young guy who says, I don't know, I'm so turned off by the way in which the church has uh, faced this scandal? Well, for me, 
one of the things when I was, when all of that kind of happened, I was um, a freshman in high school. Oh. Uh, no, a sophomore in high school when the news really kind of broke about the, the abuse. And luckily for me, I knew a lot of good priests. Yeah. And so like, it was easy for me to see that, well, just because some priests did things that are unspeakable, not all priests do those things. Yeah. So that was, that was one thing. And then going into college, Father Brian Barr was the chaplain there, and he's a very good priest. And I got, you know, knowing him, you know, that was important for me. Being around good priests helped me see that this is a life that you can be happy doing. So one thing that I like to encourage guys is find happy priests. <laughs> and if you can find priests that are happy, then you know that you can be happy. The, the other thing is that, like, you know, in, in, in one sense, scandal in the church is not new right? Yeah, Read the yeah. Acts of the Apostles, right? Like <laughs> the, we've had problems throughout the whole history uh, of the church. And that's not to excuse the issues. And it's not to say, oh, we just dismiss that and we move on. No, we, we deal with them and, and, and we're allowed to be purified by them. And then sometimes it's a matter of, of, of thinking of the words of Pope Benedict. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing here, but like God chose us to be alive in this time. We don't have to be afraid of the current times because God will give us everything we need to do what he wills us to do. So if God is calling you to be a priest, he will give you everything that you need. And all of us are called to be saints of this generation. So respond to the call um, because he will give us everything that we need. And if this is what God wants you to do, nothing will make you happier than following him. Totally agree. Father Sean Magaldi's, I guess, Sean, sometimes less so now, but for many years, I would give clergy conferences around the country. And uh, one of the things I found, I understood it, but I was troubled by it, would be priests who identify themselves as, uh, well, I'm a John Paul priest, or I'm a Benedict priest, or I'm a Francis priest. And I think to myself, aren't we all working for Jesus, you know? Um, that, that inclination toward division or choosing your particular branch of the church, how do you cope with that? I think for us, it's important to be able to distinguish between the, the holy, one holy Catholic and apostolic church and then my preferences, right? Mm. There's a difference between what I like and, and what's Catholic, right? Right, like, right, right. So there's not that I would like something that goes against what the church teaches. I don't mean that, but in the sense that like, like something as a priest, like I like wearing these vestments mm -hmm. and, and another priest might like other vestments. That's okay, fine. That's great. They're all Catholic, right? Like, and, and, and one of the things that I love is a, a friend of mine in the seminary who's a priest for another diocese, he would be, he was super charismatic and involved in the charismatic renewal and also knew how to celebrate the, the Tridentine mass. Right. So he mm. like, all of the things are Catholic <laughs> and we, as, especially as priests, we have to understand that our job is to minister to the people that God puts before us and mm -hmm. to not let our preferences get in the way of, of ministering because there's a distinction, like I said before, between what's Catholic and what are my opinions, right? And just for me personally, when I would teach RCIA, when I was at St. Patrick's in Smithtown, a lot of times someone would ask a question. I would say, this is what the church says, but if you want to know what I think within those branches and choices that the church <laughs> permits us, this is where I fall, but you can do X, Y, and Z. I prefer Z, but X and Y are, are perfectly viable options um, yeah. for you. Um, and, and to always try to remind ourselves, this is what I like, 
but right. the church allows for more than just my preference. I like that a lot. Good for you. That's a very clear way to present it to people. Um, you know, when I'm at the back door of church uh, before pandemic, and I hope after pandemic, and people are giving me a response, if they say something good about a homily, I say, and it's not a line, I really believe it. I say, well, it's all his grace. So if you got something out of it, I'm glad, but it's all his grace. But the truth is, um, we own a lot of what we do, uh, Sean. And I mention that because as vocation director, um, how personally do you take it if at the end of the year you have uh, 10 guys who are interested in priesthood, hooray, but in a year perhaps where no one has committed to a seminary formation? How do you keep Father Sean Magaldi from saying, uh, I'm a failure because I haven't gotten people, or I'm a success because I have gotten people? What do you do to stay even in a, in a very unpredictable ministry? So I think God has given me the grace, like, like what you had mentioned before, right? If you say something that, that people like, and honestly, like today, this happened to me. I, I, was, I celebrated mass and, and I, they normally have confessions here on Wednesday. I'm still new in the parish that I'm living in right now. And I said, I was like, oh, you don't have to have confessions today. And I said, oh, I'll, I'll do it anyway. And then someone came and was like, I was looking for an opportunity to go. So you presented it. So wow. a lot of that is just trust, right? Mm -hmm. And for me, personally. Um, one of the things that doesn't really bother me is the numbers because I, I've seen what happens when we let everybody in. <laughs> so like there's a, there's that, that doesn't work. Right. So mm -hmm. God is going to give, if I'm doing everything that I can, God is going to provide. And in those moments where doubt creeps in or the devil's trying to tempt me to think otherwise, to remember what my identity is as a beloved son of the father and how God, the father delights in me, God, the father loves me. And that I don't have to reach a quota to earn his love. Right. right? I right. don't have to do anything to make him love me. Speaking of NIMBY, I want to talk about NIMBY. Last Sunday on the online mass that we have in our parish, uh, I talked about NIMBY and that uh, the Lord at the end of the gospel, you know, is saying there's all these people, but too few shepherds and uh, about the vocation shortage, so-called. But I mentioned that because NIMBY, you know, not in my backyard is something people understand when it comes to a home moving next door that's going to be for special ed kids you don't want or uh, the wrong kind of neighbors you don't think you want. But I think we've got NIMBY, too, in terms of uh, parents say to me, look, I, I want so badly for our parish to have a young, dynamic priest, but just, just not my son. Or, you know, with smaller families, I've only got a son and a daughter, and frankly, I want grandchildren. And, uh, and, and so they very often will not encourage. What do you say to the parent who says, I think we should have priests. I'm, I'm pro-priest. I love my priest, but not my son. Yeah, it's something that I in encounter more frequently than I, than I wish that I did. And it, I, I think that part of that has to do with, do, some of it has to do with a fear that I don't think my son could be happy doing this. And then it's a reassurance of the fact that God provides. Mm -hmm. Then it's, it's a matter of, right, like the hierarchy of goods, right? Is it more, like, think about it. And this is, I wouldn't say this to everyone, but some people that I've gotten to know a little bit where it's like this idea of, you know, you want grandkids, what about that person who's dying, who's not going to get last rites because you wanted grandkids, right? Or the, the people who won't have their confessions heard because you wanted grandkids. Like, there's a certain sense of like, we give 
a gift of ourselves, right? And that we're not in control of anyone else's life. We're mm-hmm. in a certain sense, we're not even controlled of our own lives, right? And that, <laughs> right. that that generous gift that God calls to offer, and it is a sacrifice. It is something that would be difficult, but that when you see your son enjoying his life and being happy and fulfilled as a priest, that'll make up for the fact that you don't have grandkids or that you know, you have three daughters and you want your family name to continue, right? Like all of those things pale in comparison to the joy that your son can experience as a priest, if that's what God is calling him to. Yeah. You know, my own dad years ago, when I entered the seminary would say, I'm, I, I, if it makes you happy, I'm fine. But I just don't want you to experience the loneliness that I presume you, you priests must face. And many years later, he'd say to me, you don't look very lonely. <laughs> said, no, Dad, it's not a lonely life. And it does raise, though, the issue that I'm sure you must face as a vocation director. By the way, for our listeners and watchers around the world, um, Father Sean is the vocation director for the Diocese of Rockville Center. But where's Rockville Center? It's on a thing called Long Island, which is 120 miles long, and it extends from New York City out to the end of Montauk Point. But that's where he is. If any of you want to talk to Father Sean, which I'm going to talk to you about at the end. But let's go back for a second to the 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 issue you must get from uh, young and not so young men who are thinking about priesthood. Oh my God, how difficult is it to be a celibate priest? What do you say? <laughs> Did I say obedience is a lot harder than celibacy. <laughs> <laughs> Isn't that the and, truth? <laughs> and I, I, one of the, the blessings that I, that I have um, is, you know, being a younger priest and, and having, um, you know, there's a certain sense of like, as a younger priest, you do things for younger people, right? So you get put in charge of youth ministry, you get put in charge of young adult ministry and, and things like that. And, and so, which is good. I like that. And, and, and it's not the only thing that I would do, but um, so you get to meet people who now they're getting married. And mm-hmm. like my own brother is only a few years younger than me, four years younger than me. He's now married. And spending time with married couples and seeing how they live their life it becomes more and more clear to me that that's not what God created me to do. Mm. Marriage is a beautiful and a wonderful thing, but it's hard, right? And people think the priesthood is so hard. Yeah, in some ways the priesthood is hard and in other ways it's easy, right? Like at the end of the day, after a long day of meetings or whatever it may be in mass and confessions and all the things that we do as priests, and I go back to my room and I'm tired and I'm happy and I'm fulfilled, <laughs> right? Like if I then had like kids that I had to, to worry about or a wife that I had to, to worry about too, then it would be, it would be tough. But there, yeah. there's that piece of being able to give our lives and that, that gift of self um, yeah. that God calls us to have. And, and that when we're doing what he asks us to do, then we can see how this is what we were created for. So in my own life, I've had that validation, getting to know married, and like, and I mean happily married couples and, and, yeah. and couples that I would put on a, a pedestal as examples for people of faith. Like mm-hmm. these are good, happy marriages that I could see that's not what God was asking me to do. And so if, 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 if you're called to be a priesthood, the celibacy, it's a gift. Um, it's a gift from God and a gift that we return back to him. 
Uh, I'm going to wrap this pretty soon, but I wanted to tell you that there was a discernment night years ago, and uh, there a couple of us priests there to talk about people who were thinking about priesthood, and uh, a young guy who has since become a priest, thank God, but he said, how how tough is this celibacy thing? And I thought, to be honest with him, I said, it's, it's not easy, certainly, uh, to lack that particular uh, way of living an intimate life, um, but, I, you know, God gives us the grace to be able to do it, and Monsignor McDonald famous Jim McDonald was also there that night. And uh, there I was saying, you know, it's not easy, but you can do it. And then he jumped in and said, I love celibacy. <laughs> the man was zealous about every aspect of our lives. It was wonderful <laughs> to be with him, you know. And uh, I, Before we go off today, Father Sean, I wanted to ask you, uh, for folks, this program literally goes around the world, uh, but folks who are thinking that they have an interest, at least, in learning more about the possibility of priesthood, how would they reach you? So I always encourage people, um, the first thing to do is talk to your, your parish priest, your pastor or a priest that you're, you're comfortable with and having that conversation with them and, and, and just starting there. Um, and then if, if there, is there going to be a follow-up conversation after that, um, then our, our website is drvc, drvcvocations.com. Okay. Uh, or .org. I think both will get you there. Um, and and that, that'll bring you to our website, which gives you some of the basic information. And then um, if you're looking to get more, uh, there's a contact us page and all that kind of stuff. Or if you just go on to drvc.org, um, which is the diocesan website, and go mm -hmm. to the Office of Vocations, all the information is there too. Um, and then you can reach out and send an email, and then we can start a conversation uh from Beautiful. there i want to thank father sean mcgaldy for being with us uh as i think anyone listening to a program like this can see and hear uh he's a joyous guy he's got a brain he's thought it through uh his answers are not canned but rather spontaneously from his heart and mind a man who has uh, freely chosen to give his life to the service of the church and and loves what he's doing and reflected today i think the wondrous part of, of priestly vocation, that there's not a single day in our lives that goes by where we can't say that the world is a tiny bit better because we chose to accept God's invitation to serve. And uh, where else, in what work can you say every day I can make a difference for the good, every day I can help to make uh, this a wonderful life for others. And uh, boy, what a gift, what a grace it is. And you are the embodiment of that in so many ways, Sean. And thank you for that. Father Sean Ugaldi, thank you for being with us on Personally You're Speaking. You're welcome. You're welcome. God bless you, Monsignor. Thank you for having me. As we end today's program, I want to thank you all for being with us. If you have any questions or comments, you can reach me at personallyspeakingpodcast at gmail.com. To go see past episodes of our show, go to YouTube and search under Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And don't forget to click like and subscribe. Personally Speaking is also available as a podcast on personallyspeakingpodcast.buzzsprout.com or for past shows, go to www.closeencountertv.com. Uh, again, click on the radio button at the top of the page. You can also get our shows at www.ollmp.org. Uh, and also get a weekly homily from Monsignor Jim. Personally Speaking is also on Facebook at Personally Speaking with Monsignor Jim Lasanti. And we're also now on Instagram at Personally Speaking Podcast. Personally Speaking is made possible because of the support of so many of you. Thank you for your help and support. I'm privileged to serve as host and executive producer, Personally Speaking. Our producer is Lisa Jandovitz. Thanks so much for joining us. We'll be with you again next time 
on Personally Speaking.